Welcome back to Range Anxiety for our midweek session, our Wednesday magic, bringing you that 30 years of automotive tuning experience in about 30 minutes or 24 and 30 if you take into account the non-existent adverts. And we got to thank the beautiful Donna Summer there for that intro track. She works hard for the money. And it's not just she that works hard for the money. Everyone in the car game, believe it or not, works hard for the money people think that you know tuners make as much as brain surgeons <laughs> well we kind of are brain surgeons in a way but just electronic ones not actual meat ones um and we do i suppose we do make lots of money for about two minutes of the day and the rest of the day you spend scooping up shit or putting out fires that those two minutes cost you so yeah Oh, it's a wonderful profession, and kids, don't be one yourself. Go and get yourselves a real job. Now, now that little tirade over, it is Wednesday, it's hump day, and I, you know I'm just sort of coming over the hump and <laughs> coming back down to the ground. You see, I'm not even grumpy. I'm that, I'm that over it that I'm just laughing. You, you know, like for example, this morning, you know, I had a, a young man that was very insistent on having his 86 tuned, which is fine. You know, old 86s tune up all right, especially when you use um, Ecutech Race ROM, which I do, and it's got switchable maps and, you know, all sorts of really cool stuff that, that you need when you're tuning a car. And I like that. I like cool stuff and I like cool cars. So, you know, a bit of 86 magic's good. But then he goes, yeah, but I really need the car to make a little bit of a popping noise. So here we go again popcorn tuning and there's nothing that wipes a smile off my dial as much as a good popcorn tune yet still they gravitate towards me like flies towards audio aussies can fill in that blank so yeah i had to give him his little popping sound if you've ever watched that movie district nine uh wicker spender he's got the flamethrower out and he um flame throws all the little prawns and they make a popping noise and that's what i think of when people ask me for popcorn tunes it's a bit of a dark mentality that I have towards this thing these days, or those things. But anyway, I've got it to happen. Pa, 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 bang, check engine light. You know, so uh, the young man uh, should be very happy, and I'm sure his girlfriend will be suitably impressed that he's uh, basically stocked Toyota 86 can make little popping noises. Now, I copped a bit of flack, unusually for me. <laughs> Um, about my last Epicast where I was talking about, uh, you know, how to hack into EVs or how you would tune them or what you would do with them to get a good result. Um, a few people were saying exactly right. What you're talking about there is that space age shit. And that's why you're always going to find me in my shed building my petrol cars. And when, you know, electric cars are ruling the world in 20 years, I mean, I'll be too old to work on cars, even if I'm here at all, um, at that point in time. But you know, I'll have my like 2020, 2022 model high performance ice car in the shed that'll be a classic and I'll be working on that. You think so? Nah, I don't think so at all. And I, I will get around to explaining, but first let's wind the time machine back. You know how I love talking remember when? It is such a boring form of humor, but anyway, 
you guys and girls that aren't as old as me have got to remember or got to know things that happened. Let's wind back to the early mid-80s when there was a new high-tech challenger, as, as, as much of a technical masterpiece as the R35 GDR was when it came out in uh, 2008. Um, and it was called the Mitsubishi Cordia Turbo. That's right, I can see you laughing now. Oh my goodness. The little, was it Sirius? 1.8 single camber. Little baby two-valve thing with a turbocharger the size of a walnut on it. Non-intercooled, I believe. And single point injection. Yep, kids, for you, for those of you that aren't old enough, there was this old style of injection called Centerfire or single point injection where it just had a couple of big injectors or a big injector or whatever, how many injectors it needed at the throttle body and it used to shoot in just after the throttle body. Centerfire or single point injection. Horribly inefficient, but when you get it right, it, it, and actually multi-point wasn't that much better. It's like people that wank on about sequential injection. When that was all new, it wasn't that much better than batch fire you know i mean the engines we were all running it on were pretty dog shit things too that you know probably weren't able to take advantage of individual droplets of atomized fuel whereas you know a bit of garden hose seemed to work okay but yeah the hoopla that surrounded the cordia when it came out there were special training courses for the mitsubishi techs because they'd never seen anything like this you know we're talking basically going straight from sigmas which are, you know, an abomination on four wheels, even at the very best of times. Even the Sigma, to, ah, no, actually the Sigma Turbo was cool. But straight into this space-age stuff. And, of course, there was the big brother, the Starion, the Stallion, whatever you want to call it, which was another non-intercooled pile of junk. But in its day, not too bad. And perceived to be very, very high-tech. Now, how many people do you see still working on those things in the garage? Uh, zero. <laughs> That's right. I mean, they're a bit older than 20 years old, I suppose, but there's very few of them left. There were reasons why. Hey, they, were, they, weren't, they were actually mechanically pretty solid old buses, but all the spare parts from dried up, and a lot of the spare parts weren't easily replicated, and the enthusiasm wasn't there. And this is what is going to happen to your 2020 masterpiece when you try and be a hot rodding enthusiast with it in 20 years time they are compared even to the the state of the art cordia and starion modern cars modern internal combustion cars have a degree of complexity i reckon about 10x or 10 times over that of an equivalent generation ev that's right not just the moving parts but uh, the control modules, the way they're programmed, the way the buses are laid out in the cars, they're an absolute ticking time bomb, nightmare, unfixable thing that's going to happen over the next few years. It's just terrible. Well, you know, it, and a lot of it's due to old procedures and old thinking. I'm not going to mention any particular brands of car here, but it's like they've got their, you know, 2010 models and just growing things onto them in the engine bay, on the buses, in their electrical architecture, and it's a dog's breakfast of shit. And it's a dog's breakfast of shit that you will never be able to fix. Why would I say such a thing? Well, you might have a degree in 
um, shit fixery, if there is such a thing, because a good electronic engineer would take one look at some of the current ice offerings and go, why, oh why, have they done this? And you know, there are no easy, simple or logical answers as to why. Um, but you can't even buy some of the modules for these cars now if something packs up uh, because there aren't enough semiconductors to make them. And whether they actually bring semiconductors online to make bits for older ICE cars or they're just going to be gobbled up by the new ones remains to be seen. Like your current Euro offerings, and not just Euro offerings, but they, they seem to have the most sensitive of check engine lights in the game. I've mentioned this before in the earlier Epicast, but for those of you that haven't heard it, they have like probably between 30 to 40 individual controllers and modules in them, all linked across various different backbones or buses, CAN buses that they talk through. And constantly, modules are in error in cars. And it was no big surprise to see up to 30, new, 30 errors in a brand new car. Not all of them enough to bring the check engine light on. Most of those just come on for emissions purposes. So only about 99 out of 60,000 reasons that exist to, to bring up a bus fault in a car. That's nothing new to have 30-odd errors. In fact, when I get one in that's got like under 10, it's like, wow, this one's a keeper, <laughs> as Gold Member would say. It's, they're so full of bugs and so full of troubles just trying to keep up with the Joneses that the end cannot come soon enough for the current petrol offerings out there. Now, I don't mind a good semi-analog internal combustion car. I mean, I do have one. I've got a, what is it, Edition 507 AMG, which is, you know, only got a single engine ECU in it. And it, it it's got fairly simple bus architecture and it's got a dirty old uh, dinosaur-eating blood drinking V8 stuffed in the nose of it and it makes all the right sounds it stinks it's impossibly expensive to service and eats tires like they're free and um, sits there with a the clock ticking on between services every 12 months in the background whether you drive it or not you're up for a grand so you know it is it is the last of the bad old days but at least it sounded good and did some stuff not like four-cylinder C63s that you can get today, which will be invariably faster, undoubtedly, sorry, faster than the dirty, stinking old 507. You know, the car I don't like driving very much. In fact, we're about to hear a C63 that lasted the twin-turbo V8s in the background in a minute. It should be exciting. So, you know, that old girl will be fixable. I don't know if the 2021 or 2022 versions of the same car are going to be much of an enthusiast's car to be fixable because like i say the parts won't be around for the bloody things and the electronics will just be an impossible nightmare like i see them packing up now a year out of warranty and it's not just an mb thing mb makes some bloody good cars um it's just everyone this everyone's trying to keep up with the joneses and have touch screens and wide screens and all sorts of intelligent things in the car that and the architecture of the car is just not designed for it so you know what you do you just keep band-aiding shit on top more and more and more write some 
software that is not easily updated. It can't be updated over the air. It's back to the dealer at big cost. And then again, half the dealers don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the story of how fixable your car is depends on which dealer you go to in some in circumstances, which is, you know, totally unacceptable compared to, I'm not even going to go into my favourite brand, where it just downloads like it does for your iPhone or Android or whatever it is that you've got when it has a firmware update. So, you know, times are going to change, and I don't think, I don't think they're going to change really well for the, I'm sticking with my ice cars forever, because you're going to get priced out of the market, and you're going to end up with cars that you simply can't fix, unless you go back, well, listen to this, that's a twin turbo C63 right there. That's not bad. That's about 520 horsepower at the tyres with a set of downpipes and a little bit of a tune. So I hope you all enjoyed that tiny, quiet bit of music in the background. Will you be able to fix your EV? Of course you will. There's going to be a myriad of battery repairers. I'll be one of them. There's going to be a myriad of battery supplies and power units motors you just buy straight off the manufacturer if something else goes wrong just fix it if you know a fitting breaks or some wiring breaks just fix it but that will be ultimately more fixable yeah that's right ultimately more fixable than the last of the ice cars so pick yourself something from the early 2000s or 2010 to 2015 if you want to get an ice car that you can keep and stick that one in your garage is my advice to you which is why some of the simpler cars these days of that era are making the most money secondhand because I'm not the only one that's thinking this way. So let's have a look at some of the things that like stuff you up when tuning a modern car. Um, I sort of explained how I was going to do it with an EV and you can either get into the software or you can't or you've got to go around it like I am and partially into it. And you can buy other bangers like our favourite, the little Nissan Leaf. You can actually program those things directly. That's right, you can program the ECU on them, and you can also, if you're smart enough, and yeah, that, that's a big if, but so I'm not at this stage, um, program the firmware for the uh, motor controller as well to allow it to accept a bit more grunt. And you can make these things really good. You can program how much regen braking you want, and here goes the C63 again. Or is that a leaf? No, that's not a leaf. That's Germany's finest V8. Now that car there is a good example of what I'm talking about. That's a 17 model, twin turbo, quite tunable, quite good. But everyone goes, ah, I'd rather the 20, 21 model. Well, no, you wouldn't. Because they've, again, exponentially added crap to the bus, made it more expensive to tune, made it more expensive if ever possible to fix if anything goes wrong electronically in 20 years. Let me explain. In the good old days, we just had an ECU that ran our engine. And maybe, maybe an ECU engine control unit, maybe a transmission control unit that ran the um, gearbox, if it was, say, a dog shit gearbox or a twin clutch or whatever. They, you know, they needed some electronic control. So we had a couple of controllers, and we then, we could, of course, we had a body control module, which tied up, you know, all the uh, linking of the indicators and brake lights. And, you know, so the, the cars were pretty simple then. Take, for example, the 2021 C63, or all AMGs of that ilk. They have a thing, not only do they have an engine control unit, and inside that engine control unit lives all of your 
fuel and timing and cam position and throttle position and torque limiters and speed limiters and all of these things that tuners like me like to think that we can get in and change. And fun. All good. No problem at all. But in 21, oh, I think it was 20 actually, they put in a second ECU, but it's not an ECU. It's just called a CPC module. And what happens is that some of the torque limiters, speed limiters and rev limiters live in that as well as the ECU. And should you tune the ECU without tuning the CPC module, it'll default to the lowest level, which is what's trapped up or written hard-coded into the CPC module. You get me? So, and of course, there is no direct programming for the CPC module. It's only now, after about you know 18 months in the wild, that there are tuning companies coming out with replacement for several thousand dollars replacement CPC modules that you put in the vehicle and then you can tune your ECU at a couple of thousand dollars. So we're looking at a, you know, five, six thousand dollar ECU tuning exercise to do correctly. And you'll be like, yeah, that's because, you know, <clears throat> you anchors are playing with high end stuff like AMGs. What about good stuff like a Chev? Well, <laughs> you got all sorts of trouble there too. I mean, I know a little bit about American trucks. I do a bit of work with them and any of the Silverado stuff from about 18 onwards are basically non-tunable. Well, not quite. You can tune them. You have to take your ECU out of your vehicle. Let's just say it's a, you know, a 6.2 petrol bang amp Silverado. You gotta take your ECU out. You gotta send it to the US. They then laser cut the lid off it. They CNC cut the lid off it. They modify the circuit board. They flash a basic file into it that unlocks it. So that costs you about four grand to unlock the ECU. You then put it back in your car, you read it, and then you buy the credits for about another grand, right? So about five grand at the moment. So you can flash the thing. So yeah, we'll uh, spend 5,000 bucks. And then of course there's the bill you're gonna get from your tuner or whatever the tuner charges, which would be say a thousand bucks. So you're gonna spend 6,000 bucks, hard earned dollars to get 15 kilowatts maybe out of a new petrol burning Chev. Hands up who thinks that makes a lot of sense. Right, so this stuff is not just Big Daddy Elon and all these EV guys, this stuff is getting harder and harder and harder with the petrol guys. And now that the EPA is starting to clamp down on it all and clamp down on tuning software so that you can't actually do anything unless they should be dragged through court and get $20 billion fines, um, it's just going to dry up. That is my real severe prediction for the whole thing, is that the whole ice car tuning thing is going to dry up. Now, it's not going to be automatically replaced with EV tuning. It's not, because simply a lot of that stuff's too hard as well. And, you know, SpaceX-inspired software in a Tesla is about, oh, from what I've seen, which isn't a lot, but from what I've seen, and with my, I've got to put this, you know, disclaimer on this, and my limited knowledge of coding. I mean, it's not bad, but it's certainly not OEM coder or calibrator level. Um, I would say is about 10 to 12 years, even at the current rates of exponential growth, in front of that of the ice guys. 
and making the ICE software even harder to use and decode, particularly as they try and lock it down and the tools start to disappear, is that they're of like they brag about how many lines of code are in their ECU. We've got thirty, you know, three million lines of code running this Chevy. Yeah, that shit. I mean, even I know the less lines of code you've got to do the job, the more efficient your code is, and the better it's. It's just fundamentally better in so many ways to debug and then expand upon. Whereas all these old calibrating departments that are just patching shit on top of shit and just putting in different structure, different subroutines to talk to different modules and it's buggy, full of errors and extremely hard to back engineer because none of it, quite frankly, makes sense, possibly even to the people that even wrote it in the first place. So am I giving you a bit of a, a chilled feeling here? Like chilled as in, not as in, hey man, chill out, as in chill down the spine because your sport, you see, is slowly dying. So grab the car that's not a mishmash of shit. Grab that one and put it in your shed if you want to be an old school hot rodder, right? Remember I told you this and make sure that there's good support out there because a lot of the modules, like, you know, I look for stuff for 10 year old, or not 10 year old, yeah, yeah 10, 10, 12 year old HSVs now, like some wiring parts of some modules and stuff, you simply cannot get them. They're out of production. You can buy some aftermarket style shit for them, but most of it is exactly that. Just cheap shit from Wish or whatever, you know? So even your HSVs are getting hard. So you've got to find something that there's they've made plenty of. It's probably a world car, i.e. sold in more than just Australia, so that you can get some sort of aftermarket support for it in the long term or even find parts OE. I mean, the old 911s are a classic example of that. But even then, I, you know, I fear that late model 911 stuff is going to become near on impossible in the very near future as well. So, yeah, look, it's not good times if, if you know, if, if you're thinking it's all going to be sweet and you can lock yourselves up in the shed with your old shit because it's just not going to work. And there are going to be so many cars that are written off because modules can't be supplied for them. And it's really, you know, what we would technically describe as being simple in the past just can't be fixed anymore. So, yeah, be scared of that. And also, just before I go today, we've got about another, I don't know, two minutes left. What the hell has happened to the price of fuel? Now, I'll watch it. So, watch your markets a bit. The Brent crude index, which is like a European oil price, I suppose. Um, it's just been going through the roof. It's way above pre-COVID levels now, even though it dropped to basically nothing during COVID. Oh, no one wants oil anymore because everyone's in lockdown. Now it's just gone through the roof. And in Australia, we are looking to be paying more than $2 a litre for fuel, for petrol, pretty soon. When it, and that's for the low-grade shit. You know, you want the good stuff, 93 um, Mon or 98 Ron, you know, you're going to be staring down the barrel of $2.20 to $2.30 a litre. So this is one good reason to have an internal combustion car as a weekender, because the supply will be controlled to control the price the whole time. And now, like semiconductors, they're simply, you know, there's too much demand for oil, not enough supply. It's you and I, or actually you, because I don't buy petrol as a rule apart from for the smelly TJ Wrangler and, you know, just don't drive it that much. So he doesn't use much in the 507, which has done um, 
2,000 kilometres in a year. <laughs> yeah, I can't afford the servicing on the bloody thing. Um, you know, the, the price of fuel is going to go through the roof. So, you know, budget that in too when you're buying your keeper because it's interesting times right now that we live in. And you know what? I think as time goes on and as these epicasts go on, it's only going to get more and more interesting. Something has got to give in the long run. But what you've got to do in the long run is keep listening to Range Anxiety.